Welcome to Authors of the Pacific Northwest, where we connect authors with new listeners and provide advice to aspiring authors on the business of writing. I'm your host, Vicki J. Carter. So hi there, podcast listeners. Thank you so much for coming back to the Authors of the Pacific Northwest. And today I have the amazing pleasure to introduce you to an author that I found through my daughter. So first, let me introduce him to you, Race Walter. So Race, say hi to the listeners. Hi there, everyone. Thank you so much for having me, Vicki. Oh, I'm so excited to have you on. And it literally was one of those moments. So Race and I talked about this just a bit before we recorded. So listeners, you know, my family's super supportive of my writing journey, my podcast, and my daughter, she works in a town, not my town, but in Washington. And she messaged me on Facebook. She goes, Mom, you got to get this guy on your podcast. They just had an interview in the newspaper about him. <laughs> and so I stalked your race. <laughs> and I found oh. you. <laughs> I'm not mad. I'm going to be honest. I'm not mad at all. I really appreciate it. Well, it's so great. So you had an interview in, I think it was the Columbia newspaper, right? Yeah. And uh, there's another one. Oh, shoot. Why can't there's i I'm going to go to an interview, not this Tuesday. That's what it is. It's this Tuesday on the 18th as well. So I'm really excited. Oh my gosh. Wow. Yeah. So it's been like a whirlwind for you. So let's start from the very beginning. First off, why don't you let our listeners know what state in uh, the Pacific Northwest you live in? So I'm in Washington, South Washington. So Vancouver. Yeah. Yeah. That's where I tell everybody I'm from too, but really I'm up North from you a bit. (laughs) It's a big city. It It is. It is. Close enough. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I I have specific questions. I love to ask the authors to get to know kind of your background a little bit. So race share with us a little bit um, about your background. Are you writing full time? Do you have a day job? Kind of give us some inside look of who you are. I definitely do not write full-time as much as I would absolutely love to do that. Um, I am 19. I've had a full-time job for a while, and I do go to school. So I try to like muster in as, as much as I can do with my time. Uh, I do currently have a full-time job. Uh, I, I currently own a house as well. So as a homeowner, oh like I, I, I don't really have a choice to like you know not have a full-time job necessarily. But You're I a de- homeowner at 19. How awesome is that? <laughs> I really appreciate that a lot, actually. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I try to smuggle in as much time as I can for writing, and uh, you know, don't don't tell my boss when. Oh, don't I worry. It, it, it's <laughs> mom's word. So everybody that listens to podcast knows that the podcast and writing and my whole journey is my side hustle. We lovingly call it the side hustle in my house, um, even exactly. though it really truly is um, consuming as a full time hustle. <laughs> It it really is. It really is. It does take a lot of time. And like, that was like one of the hardest things that I experienced is that like, you know, I'd be in a different mindset every time I'm writing because I have to like section it out. Mm -hmm. And uh, your writing becomes, or at least mine does, my writing becomes inconsistent after a while. And I have to go through and just try to like fluid it out. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's totally true. So I'm race working on my first novel. It is almost I would say completed. So when I started the podcast is when I committed to everybody to tell them that I'm actually writing. I've been writing in the closet for years. That's what I like to call it. But I said, okay, I'm a writer. (laughs) And so um, my journey was, uh, I was getting bored. My kids are out of the house. So they're about your age and um, they've moved out and they're on their own. And I wanted to um, start something new, be creative. And it was either go back to school and get my doctorate or 
my husband looked at me and goes, why don't you write? You're a fantastic writer. You've always wanted to write a book. And I'm like, oh, that's a great idea. <laughs> you know, I, I, I 100% agree with that. I always think that, you know, writing a book is, it, it seems so much further out of reach than it really is, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah. It, yeah. it just looks like a big task. And it, it, it's not not a big task. It's just, it looks far away. Exactly. It does because there's a lot to it. And so that's what started the podcast. So I started to ask people that I found out, I didn't know there was this huge writing community around me. And then I started to ask, what do you do? Oh, all right. Wait, what do you mean you write? How did you get published? And then people started giving me such awesome tips. I'm like, this is a great podcast. I don't know anything about making a podcast, but I'm going to start one. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) <laughs> it, it's insane. Like, you know, you, you never really, it always feels like, like writing to me, I imagine is like being at the bottom of this hole and we're all climbing out. Every single writer is just climbing their way to the top. And then once you finally get to the top and like surface this giant crevice that you're inside, you look over and you see the hundreds upon thousands of other crevices that everyone else is, uh, is in their middle, in their, on their way of like, getting out of and it's like wow I didn't realize there was this many around me you know it, yeah, they don't surface until you have you know what I mean that's a great analogy thank you I love that I'm going to remember that that sounds like also part of a book that should be written <laughs> 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 we just wrote a book together on the podcast good job we'll definitely do that we should yes, do that yes. okay so um as authors we're often um told that we need to also be avid readers. And so what is currently on your bookshelf that you're reading, if anything? Um, so I honestly like put a close down on reading for a long time and I wish I could really continue the series. Wish I could, I'm going to continue the series. And I know this is probably like the most basic answer I could give away, <laughs> but uh, I would probably say the Percy Jackson series. Oh, I love the Percy Jackson. I absolutely love the Percy Jackson yeah, series. Yeah. It would, it'd be like the only series I could like consistently reread in oh, my yeah. time. Over and over again. Yeah, very good. Well, and I get the whole lockdown in the, the reading part of it because I struggle with having too many voices in my mind as I am writing. You know, I don't want it. Yeah. And so I totally get that. I know other authors do that too. So um, I think you'll you'll find time to come back to it. I mean, goodness, you're in school, you're working, you have to take care of a house and you're in this whirlwind tour of being an author too. I understand. <laughs> yeah. Play there. So, so when did you know you were a writer? Did it, were you always telling stories as a kid? Did you write really a lot in school or did this just land on you? I would say I tell more than write. Like I'm, I'm one of like many people who just have like, you know, stories that pop into our heads all the time. And it was like, oh man, like a long, long, long time ago. I was probably a kid, you know, I barely knew grammar before I knew writing. Um, when I started, you know, just like jotting down little stories. Cause I'm like, oh, this is fun. I'm, I love imagining little characters who like do little stuff and like have little adventures. And as I grew up into it, my dad is actually in the writing business for movies and oh. film more than anything. Okay. And, uh, when in talking to him about stuff, I became a little more infatuated with the technical side of fictional writing, which I always, I always found fascinating. It's like, you know, there, there's an element, there's a structure to how stories are made because our lives are boring. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, yeah. they're fun when I, when I summarize it, you know, I'd be like, haha, house, haha, you know, this happened, haha, that happened. But in reality, if you were in my shoes, it's not nearly as fun as reading a book. 
Absolutely not. So <laughs> no, no, it's true. And that's why I think a lot of us have become fiction authors is because in our minds, our life is so much more exciting. My world is amazing in my head. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and exactly. on Instagram and Facebook. <laughs> of course. Yeah, right. So Race, you said your dad has some experience in um, film writing and the industry. Did he help you through it? Did, did he read parts of it? Was he one of your supporters? Yeah, yeah. Um, my mom was a huge supporter. I mean, she's not into science fiction. She's not into the fantasy. You know, she she never read Lord of the Rings, um, mm. like some of us nerds have. Some of us oh, D and D players have. Oh, of course. <laughs> but she was like the biggest avid supporter of this book ever. Like she was the biggest pushing force onto it. this book. Um, my dad is more of a, a of a lover of this stuff, but he also has a lot of his own time and his own things that he has to do. He gotcha. lives in New York, actually. Oh, okay, okay. Gotcha. So, gotcha. I, I see him less, but talk to him a lot. That that's really great, and I think it's awesome that at least you know your mom is super supportive. My daughters will tell you that I'm their biggest fan, and I think my kids are my biggest fan, and my husband are too. And I don't think we can do this journey of any creative journey without having that support at all. No matter no. what that creative journey is, if you're a musician, if you're in the arts, uh, if you're an actor, you have to have that support group. Yeah, one hundred percent. I mean, like honestly, like th- this book took years for me to transgress over. I mean, yeah. given I didn't have the most ample amount of time, yeah. but yeah. I definitely would not have been able to do it as long if there wasn't someone just there, you know, just kind of nagging at me every once in a while. Like, Hey, yeah. how's your book going? And I'm like, man, I haven't thought about that in a second. I'm like, it, it's going good. It could no, be going no, better, we, but it's going we good. We need that so bad. Otherwise, I don't know if we would ever write if we didn't have somebody asking those questions and having that kind of accountability. So, yeah. Yeah. So I can imagine that you were one of those kids that I used to teach in high school because I was a high school teacher for a while that oh. um, that I would see in the back daydreaming often and want, wondering, hmm, I wonder if they're going to be a writer. <laughs> were you one of those? I, I, I would like to say, yeah. You know, when I wrote this book, the first person I ran to is my high school English teacher. Yeah, I think that's yeah. so funny. I was like, guys, I wrote a book. <laughs> I love it. That's so awesome. Well, I'm sure they're very proud. Um, oh, yeah. So, so let's talk about the writing process for you. So did the idea pop in your head and you started jotting down notes? Are you a note taker? Did you just write by the seat of your pants and then you were going to figure out all the structure later? Kind of walk us through that process for you. So this actually started because I I love the arts when it comes to any form of art form, when it comes to music, when it comes to writing. I'm I have no preference. I love all of them. But in the great scheme of things, my love comes through storytelling. How the story is told is honestly based on budget in Mm -hmm. the end to me. Mm -hmm. But I used to volunteer at this place called Rock Solid, which is this little uh, teen hangout center um, for basically just like kids... Kids who came home from school and their parents were still at work, they'd usually go to Rock Solid. It's just a really, really good community. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I volunteered there, uh, a couple of the kids, we talked about, I told them that my dad makes movies and stuff. They're like, well, why don't we make movies? And I'd always oh, wanted to make a short that. film. Yeah. So I, I, like, I like busted out this little script as fast as I could. And of course, you know, kids don't have the same scheduling and uh, capabilities for, you know, doing activities like adults do. So it didn't really... F- come into fruition as much as I hope. But yeah. I was like, you know, I really, I really want something to come out of this. So I 
started writing stuff down and I started writing the short film. And then that short film turned into like the first two chapters of a novel. And then the first two chapters of a novel turned into a full novel. That's awesome. I, I love that you were inspired by that connection. Um, I feel like for me, when I, I'm writing, cause I'm, I'm a fiction writer, everything starts in a movie format in my mind. Almost. Honestly. Yeah. Yeah. And then I'm like, okay, so how can I stretch out? This would be a great two hour movie, but I want to stretch it out <laughs> longer in a book format. You know, I want to tell more of the story. So that's kind of how things work out for me. I always, I always imagine things in like the grand scheme of things. It's like big superhero, big evil, bad guy, yeah. Yeah. big clash, all of this wreckage happens. And then it just takes all of my time is spent just like filling those little details. All the little details. So you have the big impact in your mind first, and then you go from there. And my, with my story that I'm working on now, I have several stories in my mind. The one I'm working on right now is historical fiction. And actually I had the ending first. Well, in yep. the second book first, it's going to be a three book series. I don't know how the third one will finally end. Um, but I do know the first and second ending, but the very first book's ending, that's the one I had first. And that's the scene I wrote first. And I don't call my mm-hmm. chapters chapters. I call them scenes because that's how they play out in my mind. Um, so I have very short scenes and I have chapters and I have some longer chapters that are a little longer detailed, but I don't have these big gothic long epic chapters. <laughs> They're very seen. No, I, I don't either. I a hundred percent get that. And I, I like that, you know, I mean, I guess I don't want to say I have a short attention span cause I wouldn't say I do, but I do like when it comes to action or when it comes to storytelling, I like a quick, like Me a too. quick one piece to the next, you know, quick beat. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. At least that's my style of too. I want to read the dialogue. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's my style of writing and my style of reading really, you know. I I read like I have a short attention span. Yeah. Um I like one thing to the next and that's my chapters are really short. My books relatively short. It's only 160 pages. Oh, that's um, fantastic. <laughs> that um, great. So you already kind of mentioned to us what the genre is. So expand on that. Give us the title. Um, for my listeners. So as they're driving down the I-5 corridor, they'll make sure that they'll go to show notes and pick it up, you know, find where you're at. But give us the title and the genre. And then we'll talk a little bit about the publishing because you and I were off um, the mic talking about it. So I want to make sure we dive into that. So go for it. About So it's called Mason, Us Versus the World. Um, and it is a modern science fiction. So it's a science fiction in a sense. It's sci-fi fantasy, if you will, but it takes place modern day. So okay. it's not like 20,000 years in the future. It's current, but it has science f- fiction technology, um, more of like underground development type universe. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Um, and you talked to me about what type of pub or what type of publisher I was, or not, sorry, not publisher, what type of author, whether yeah. I was self-published or whether I was, um, I forgot what the other name was. The hybrid self-publisher traditional are the three common ways of being. That's right. Yeah, yeah. And I was asking you, I'm like, which one am I? I don't I don't think I'm <laughs> traditional. I don't think I'm self-published. And you're like, you're a hybrid. And I'm like, that's a cool name. I'll take that one. Well, it, and it's so interesting because um, when I started back into looking into being a published author, so years and years ago, um, probably before you were born, I would guess, um, there was only really one way to become published. And that's traditional, where you would go and pitch your book in writing to a an agent. And if the agent picks you up, then they would sell you to a, one of the nice, you know, one of the bigger 
publishing companies. And then okay. with the, the advent of our wonderful internet, where it screwed up <laughs> everything for the musicians, it also opened up doors for artists everywhere, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so, so um, then, you know, it, it opened it up. Uh, but not all authors want to be self-published or they want the support of uh, um, a publishing house. So there's a lot of smaller publishing houses that are indie um, or they're um, hybrid. So they will help authors. So, so tell us how you found your right fit for this book. You know, honestly, it was, it was so long ago. It's still a little bit hard to remember, but the first thing that happened was I got the manuscript. Mm -hmm. So I wrote out the whole manuscript and let me tell you, I mean, in all self-critical honesty, it was a steaming, steaming pile of garbage. (laughs) They usually are the first ones. Yeah. (laughs) My, My first draft was not great, but I was like, I have a first draft. And that was further than I'd ever gone with anything before. And my mom freaked out and with my 17 year old me and we're just like, Oh my gosh, maybe we have something rolling here. And we looked up publishing companies, looked up a couple reviews and I got in contact with a publishing company called I universe, which is um, a publishing company on t- as well as a distributor. So oh, okay. yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's costs to it. Whereas there are freeways or at least inexpensive ways to publish a book they're inexpensive but they're also kind of not if you will yeah Uh, yeah. but you're also paying for the fact that they'll distribute it and have some marketing and they have a professional team all of which is optional you know they have pieces that you can add on to this uh little uh distribution package so you can add marketing and you can add art to it or you can do everything yourself you can add professional editors or you can do it yourself so it's kind of it's you know, the hybrid, the hybrid things making sense now. It, it's yeah. starting to gather and, up and in my so, head. And so for you, so you put the money up front, cause I've been looking at several of these um, similar avenues. Um, so if I understand right, you put the money up front, but then you get majority of the royalties. So when the book sells, you get a huge portion of that percentage wise. Kind of. Yeah. That's, that's generally how it's supposed to work. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. So I have, um, we have, I have a, a blog and I have authors that have appeared on the podcast and um, they write for the blog. And Frank Safiro is a hybrid author. He has a lot of self-published books, but he also has gone with um, publishing houses. And he did a whole blog just for January um, that's out. And he talks about the pros and cons of being a, a hybrid author. So if you haven't read that or listeners, you didn't know that blog existed, <laughs> you can go there and find out more about um, hybrid publishing. He did a really great job of explaining the process and, and the differences for authors. So, Okay. I think I'm going to have to take a look yeah, at that. Yeah. That- it was very good. There, and that's what I love about the author's journey now is that there's so many different ways of doing it. You don't have to do it like everybody else. <laughs> you can find your your way. No, 100%. I never really, you know, the way you explained it to me uh, when you first talked about it, where it was like traditional only, that was always my mindset when I, when I first started writing. And honestly, I was just writing for fun. I'm like, wouldn't it be cool if I just like had a little book? Yeah. And it would be, it would just be my little book and I would have wrote it and I would have been able to tell people that I wrote my little book. Yeah. And then we did a little bit of research and I'm like, oh my gosh, I didn't realize this was actually possible. Yeah. Yeah. And then you get interviewed and you get in the newspaper. 
<laughs> yeah. And then I was like, wow, if 17 year old me would have seen this, I would have worked on this a lot more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But maybe 17 year old you wasn't ready, right? <laughs> maybe not. I mean, the back of this, the back of the cover of my book says that I'm 17 and still attending Clark College. I am one of those things. <laughs> <laughs> Which I'm guessing you're still attending college. So. Yes, I am. Um, yeah, yeah. So, and uh, it, I, I kept it on there because I was like, I kind of wanted to keep the the spirit of the fact that, you know, I was so young and so like hopeful when this happened and I still am, but in such a different exponential oh, way. Absolutely. Yes, we do change. I, I would hope you change from 17 to 19 and from 19 on further. <laughs> uh, probably at least a little bit. Yes. So race, what was your inspiration for this story? Was there something that really inspired you was there a movie was there something or that the story was just in you and you had to get it out really like it all began when I was at rock solid I had like these three kids that like when I went to rock solid after a while uh, I taught them how to do improv and the kids (laughs) began to know me by heart like Uh I would walk in they'd be like "Mm, race is here and I'm like race is here um (laughs) but these these handful of kids, I'm like, man, I really wanted to write a story because I love story writing and I love all this stuff. And I'm like, I think that these kids have like wonderful imaginations. So I'm like, how do I give these kids superpowers? I um, love it. Oh, it's so and, great. And the universe began to develop. And in in the book, there's actually a uh, there's a little like keynote or like a little reference to them that's that's indirect, but uh, a a portion of it takes place in this place called Eden Orphanage, which is like the orphanage for the young, powerful who don't really get their powers um, and so on and so on. And uh, that is a huge reference to Rock Solid because that's where all of this began. And that's where the story begins. So would you look at that? So before we get into the story that I'm going to have you read here in just a little bit, Race, did have they read the book yet? Any of the kids, have you stayed in touch with them? They were actually the first ones to read the book. And I was like so stoked about that because a lot of people didn't read the manuscript. Like I showed a bunch of people and they're like, oh, that's cool. And then they didn't read it because they're like, you know, a lot of people write books. A lot of people write in their notes. A lot of people have stories in their heads. But those kids at Rock Solid were like the most willing. They're like, I want to read that. I want to see what that is. Like they ripped it out of my hands. They're like, I got to see what this is. They were like my first kickstart into this. And did they give you feedback? Did any of them come back? Because I always imagine writing a character, then somebody recognizing themselves as that character and being like, hey, you didn't portray me right. Did you get any of that feedback from any of them or were they just super excited? I I didn't get a lot of that feedback or like character specific feedback because a lot of the characters were definitely based on them. But I think they're a little more infatuated with the ending, which of course, no spoilers, but they were like, oh my gosh, you can't do that. I'm like, well, obviously I can. Because <laughs> you're the creator of this world. You sure can. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Okay, well, let's set the stage for the reading. So share with us as listeners that don't know anything about the story, what you can share around the part that you're going to read without doing too much spoilers. And then I'm going to sit back and listen um, while you do the reading. How's that? Okay. So I I wanted to pick a spot that was a little more intense and in the action of things and the, like a little bit in the thick of things because that's some of my personally favorite writing that I do. Um, so this is a little bit further into it. We're about halfway into the book right now. And this is where uh, our main character, Mason, gets to uh, get a little bit of interaction with the big bad evil guy or the BBEG as we say in D&Dville. Um, 
So page 81. Subdue them. I hear a sinister words hit my ears. I shudder. Slowly, the men begin to close in simultaneously. I can't control myself. I have to. Suddenly, without a briefing, without a moment of warning, my anger reaches its maximum and breaches the surface. My sorrow, my wallowing, it's gone. It's been turned into blind rage. I'm absolutely livid. No, I cry out with fury. I rush out, elbowing one of the men in the back of the neck. Falling to the ground, I quickly change my footing and dash left. I drop my shoulder. Sliding inches underneath his chin, I lift my body up as fast as I can into him, my shoulder catching his chest, guarding and lifting him feet into the air before gravity has its way with him. As he hits the ground, I listen to, the, to his struggle for air mixed with the cracking of his bones. I'm stabbed. My skin is penetrated. I feel two shards enter my back. It's a feeling I felt before. It's electricity. A mad current runs through my body. The pain only makes me angrier. I'm not letting this put me down. I've been through this way too many times to even be phased. I'm one swift movement. In one swift movement, I swipe away the cords that are biting into my skin. I wrap the twine around my hand and yank the weapon out of Mr. Parker's hands. Letting go of the trigger, the current ends. Wham! I feel something hit me in the back of the head. A throbbing sensation rushes through me. The third man has butted me with the end of his taser. My hand stings. My hand, my head stings, but I don't have time to feel pain right now. A flash out of the corner of my eye reveals that Jaden and the ethereal are gone. Relief washes over me. Suddenly, my punches soften. My anger lowers. My, my, my face pales. I can see the two men getting back up. Somebody swipes at my feet. I fall over, toppling onto my back. I feel a kick make, his, make its way to my ribs. Pain is trampling over me. Another two shards infiltrate my skin. Four shards. The electric current is getting less and less bearable. I'm really struggling to move now. I try to make my arms move around to the cords, but I get another kick to the hip. I yelp in pain. I can't do anything. I can't hold myself. I did what I wanted to do. I got Jaden and the girl out of here safe. As long as they're safe, I'm happy. The kids are safe. I'll sit here and take whatever beating they can dish out. I probably deserve this anyways. I slowly close my eyes and satisfaction as pain eats me alive. I can deal with this. I'm happy with this. I lived my whole life in pain. Pain is a good friend of mine at this point. Pain doesn't hurt me anymore. I find comfort in it. There's no reason to get up. Wallowing in my sorrow, I hear loud battering noises. Noises like punching, kicking, but I don't feel anything. Am I totally numb now? Have they kicked the ends of my nerves off? Slowly I open my eyes. The tasers have stopped and I see them now lying on the ground. As the men frantically look around, I see one of them swing through the air helplessly, but a figure quickly appears behind, knocking them into the ground. Is Jaden doing this? Whoever is doing this is disappearing and reappearing, but I don't see any sparks, no flashes of light, just subtle appearances of a single person. Again, the figure appears, and it definitely isn't Jaden. I can feel myself tugged towards him. When he disappears, the tugging goes away. Appearing again, he deals another blow to the one of the armed guards, straight to the jaw. The invisible rope grows tighter. It's a half ethereal. And that was the end of the chapter. Uh, the next chapter being into plain, uh, lights in plain sight. And I, I do want to iterate real quick because this really, really, really bugged me. Um, there's a handful of typos in this. And lights in plain sight is spelled P-L-A-N-E. And that was on purpose. It looks like a typo, but it was on purpose. Oh, okay, I'm glad you explained that because you may get people emailing you. <laughs> oh, I'm I'm so ready for it. <laughs> I love it. All right, let's go for it. Okay, so lights in plain sight. This will be chapter chapter eleven. Before today, I've never even seen another ethereal in my life. 
Now there's three standing around me. My tugging grows stronger. The ropes that pull me towards every thrill suddenly pulling my limbs apart. My director, the one who is currently fleeing with Mr. Parker, hops into another vehicle. Before I can even get up, the vehicle skids off. I can feel the ropes that pull at me towards him like I'm attached to the car he's in. Switching my attention over to the battle at hand, I see two men are knocked out and one is stumbling around in a daze. One more mystical reappearance and a, and a good knock to the temple sends him to the concrete. Looking up, he doesn't disappear this time. He looks at me, offering his hand through his heavy breathing. So many questions to ask. So much I need to know, but nothing to say. I look at him, lower my voice to a whisper. I take his hand. You're an ethereal too? He holds me up. He's older than me, perhaps late 20s. He looks me dead in the eyes, the light reflecting off his pupils. They're bright green, bright but lethal. You're the only one who's been talking in my head this whole time? I shake my head. His accent is subtle but noticeably southern. Dark brown hair sprouts from his chin, a small beard and mustache, pretty well kept. His hair is messy and curled but controlled. His body is very muscular. I can see his biceps pressing against the fabric of the sleeves of his rolled-up flannel. No, that, that was someone else. I came here looking for her. She was just, I take a second to cough, here. I looked down trying to catch my breath. My friend helped her escape. She was the one in the center of the guys before I was. You know where they are now? His face is cold and stern, his jaw sharp. His words are frigid, but nothing like Theodore's. He's respectable. He speaks with passion, not hate. No idea, I stay shaking my head. He's taller than me, quite a bit. I look up to beat his gaze. What are you? I mean, I know what you are, but what are you? He pats me on the back as he turns around and walks away from me. We don't got time for standing. Let's walk and talk, bud. Walking up Rogue, rogue Street, Rogue Street. He explains it all to me. His name is Gavin. He's a walker, somebody who can shift between realities within a blink of an eye. I've never truly understood the idea, and to be honest, I don't really know. I don't really know either. According to him, there's an infinite number of planes on Earth, each parallel to each other. Whatever that means, kind of like thousands of giant spheres, three-dimensional objects that coexist within each other. Each sphere is another dimension, another universe right atop ours. He references to our reality, the one we currently stand on as the martial realm. The most life inhabits it. It's the middle ground for all realities. The realities exist in extremities. It's the reason we can't see them. We can't see, sniff, or fondle anything that ain't in our dimension. If something's from another reality, it don't exist to us. If something switches planes, it don't seem like it's just gone. When he disappears and reappears randomly, he's walking from plane to plane. Could you hear the voices too? I ask after a brief silence. To be totally honest with you, they keep me awake, he explains to me. But ever since I heard that voice, I took the first aircraft here. Family lives back in Arkansas, but I live alone. My wife left me a while ago. I only see the kids during the holidays. I don't got much to lose. I didn't ever pay enough attention to see there were more of us. I found out I had to come. I can't help but sympathize. The feeling is so hard to resist, impossible to ignore. Nobody would be able to stay silent if they were so long with a rope around their waist and voices in their head asking them to get closer. Suddenly, a flash of light hits the corner of my eye and deep in an alley behind me. I know exactly who that must be. I run into sea, but I stop dead in my tracks. Falling behind the half-ethereal stop second later, raising one eyebrow. Problem, bud? I hold up a finger. Hold on. I listen. Looking around. I switch my abilities around. My senses grow keen. I listen to everything. A mile away, I can hear a horn honking in rage. I can hear a mouse skitter across the sidewalk. Where is he? I'm looking for another flash of light. Nothing. 
I don't hear a thing. Maybe he's standing in the alley. Maybe he's hiding out. I motion the half ethereal to come with me. He follows without question. I don't know what it is, but this odd bond we share is one I've never felt before. It doesn't necessarily induce trust, but I feel it much easier to trust him. By the way, he follows me. I think the feeling's mutual. Peering around the corner, I don't really see anything. A large green dumpster is the only thing peeking out, and at the end of the alley is a wall, another building from another street. Where the hell could he have gone? I smell something. It's difficult because there's someone next to me, and the dumpster's pungent odor but I narrow it down as well as I can. There's somebody else here. I smell burning. More than one person. That's got to be him. I hear a loud bang against the dumpster. It has to be him. I know it is. Running around to the side, I finally catch a glimpse. It's Logan. And that was a little bit of a spoiler, I guess. But um, I guess without context, it won't make a whole lot of sense. Yeah, so don't give us context because we want to get in and read the whole story, right, guys? <laughs> yeah. Okay, no context. No context. So, listeners, now you got to go in and find out who Logan is, like I do. So, bravo, <laughs> Reese. I'm very intrigued and interested um, in the story, and I love it. So, let me ask you a couple more questions as I take us out of the podcast. Yeah, sure. First question is, is this your only book or do you have more brewing in the back of your mind that you think you're going to write for? This for is my only published novel currently, but this is definitely supposed to be a trilogy. I kind of thought so. It sounds like it would be a trilogy. I'm so excited about that because my second question is, is if you do have another book, you want to come back on the podcast? Yes, of course. I would absolutely love to. I would love to have you back. So Reese, take us out with... Um, advice now that you would give to your 17-year-old self about writing and publishing now that you've gone so far and you've already published a book? I I think if I could tell 17-year-old me or anyone who was like 17-year-old me uh, anything, it would be that it's not as far away as it seems. It's monotonous and it's hard and it's annoying and it's difficult and it feels like it's endless, but it really, really, really does pay off. It really does a lot. And it's, it's a huge confidence booster to know that you just, you did it. You know what I mean? It like there, I can't explain the feeling cause it's not like anything I've ever felt before. I love it. Well, thank you for sharing that advice back to yourself, but more importantly for sharing it to those of us that are um, listening to this podcast that haven't published yet, but we want that. We want that feeling. We want to be there with you. So thank you so much. I look so forward to having you come back on when you have your second book written. Thank you so much, Vicki. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. You bet. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We hope you enjoyed the episode as much as we did. Follow us on social media and sign up for our newsletter where you can be entered automatically each month to win a signed free copy of a book from an author that's appeared on the podcast. You can find out more at our website, www.squishpin.com. And finally, if you're an author in the Pacific Northwest and you would like to appear on the show, you can find out more on our website. So until next week, I hope you enjoy the journey. This is Vicki J. Carter signing off.